The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those of, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that your fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, uh, Moline. So I, I come from you, to you from the land of uh, Iowa, and uh, I was born and raised in Illinois, a quad city kid my whole life, so I'm back. I'm glad you guys let me cross the river again. Um, but just to give you guys a little bit of a, a sense of who I am, um, like I said, born and raised in the quad cities, uh, married my wife, Jennifer, uh, back in 2000, so I've been married 16 years. Uh, we were the high school, I don't know, sweethearts, high school's a little rough, but uh, we met in high school and got married. We have four beautiful daughters, uh, Natalie, Gracie, Ellie, and Chloe. And so just to give you a little idea of, of where I'm coming from, uh, most of my life from high school was, was in the church. I became... Um, 
Christian-esque when I was in high school. I, I wouldn't say that I was a, a Christian, but um, through having children and some difficulties God uh, put in our way uh, back in 2000, uh, 2003, uh, with an incident with my daughter Gracie, God really got a hold of me, let me realize that I wasn't really uh, living for him, that I was really just going through the motions, that I was going to church, I was really working hard to be a good person, uh, like I was one of the best people, like really self-righteous, and uh, God really had to break, uh, break me down for that. But uh, like I said, grew up in Illinois, we moved to Iowa five years ago as part of a church plant, and uh, I have a special, a special place in my heart for Acts 29, that's how we actually ended up at, at Sacred City. I was part of a church plant. It was a church plant that failed. And, um, and so I, I know the struggle that, uh, that, that Sam goes through and that even, even the Davenport uh, congregation goes through in, in letting people go. And it can be tough and it can be difficult. And uh, I've been through it. And I just my prayer is that as we get into the text today, that, that God will work in your heart. He's worked in my heart, um, probably more than I even realize as I'm standing up here talking to you guys this morning. But So we've been going through the Ten Commandments. Uh, we are on the Sixth Commandment right now. So as we've been going through the Ten Commandments, it's probably been laid out for you guys before. But the first four commandments that we're looking at, those are really focused vertically. They're focused on your relationship with God. And then as we move into the the fifth through ten commandments, those are focused more on who you are and how you interact with people, so people interactions. So it's always important to keep in mind that the ten commandments are there for our protection. So they're not not buzzkill rules, right? They're not not there for, you know, you want to have fun? No, right? They're there for our protection. They're there for our joy, And so I hope to kind of unpack that a little bit for us tonight or today. So I want to start out with, I think it's always helpful whenever we get into the Ten Commandments, whenever you're in the Old Testament and you're dealing with the law, is to kind of keep this in the back of your head. This is Matthew 22. This is from Jesus. Someone asked Jesus, um, what's the greatest commandment? And Christ responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So let's get into our text today. Exodus 20, verse 13. Thou shall not murder. That's it. That's, that's all I had to work with. Um, <laughs> and for me, it was, it was very difficult, and Sam can attest to this, I, I really struggled with not having a lot of text to just digest and kind of work in. And so I just pray that, that really through my weakness in this, I mean, this, I've never felt weaker preparing a sermon than I did this sermon. And I just pray that God would work through me in that weakness. Um, so this is the sixth commandment. Right off the bat, you're probably sitting there going, I can take a rest this week, right? Because I haven't broke the sixth commandment. Like, you know, I haven't murdered anybody lately. 
But really, this is the one commandment. Living in this Christian kind of bubble we have in America, this Christendom, this is the one commandment everybody brags about, right? Whether you're a Christian, whether you're, you're an atheist, it doesn't matter. This is the one commandment where people are like, well, at least I haven't killed anybody. Like everybody brags about this commandment, right? So what I hope to show you is that even though you might be thinking that you're doing pretty good at this sermon or at this, uh, this commandment, that this commandment is possibly one of the commandments you break most often. And the reason I say that is because of the way Jesus transforms this commandment. The way that, that Jesus views this is completely different than the way we view this. So let me unpack for you just kind of the, the Hebrew behind this of what we're dealing with. So there's really only two words in the Hebrew for thou shall not murder. And it could be translated no murdering or no unjust killing. There's actually eight different, eight other words that can be used for the word killing, but the word that's actually used here is rasa. It is referred to in its uses in the Old Testament as planned or premeditated murder, assassination, various kinds of manslaughter, self-murder, or being an accessory to murder. Thou shalt not murder does not mean that God is forbidding or outlawing killing of every kind. Just in coming up in Exodus 21, we're actually going to see Moses put the death penalty in place for people that break this commandment. So we also see throughout the history of Israel that God commanded them to go to war. And I don't, we haven't figured out a way to go to war without killing people yet that I know of. I mean, so war, killing is, is part of war. We also see that the sword has been placed as a legitimate expression of the authority that God gives to governments, right? And so this was very helpful. Um, Justin kind of broke this down a couple weeks ago. And it's, it's the idea that the government is there. The government and the church are not the same, right? The government's there. They have the sword. They have a protective posture, right? So they're there to, to safeguard and provide safety. The church has a flourishing posture. So the church, our, our job is to love, right? We have different we have different parts to play. And so I think sometimes we can kind of blur that line between um, the church and state, not to go off on something there. but um, And so I want to, there's legitimate God-ordained situations where killing can and will happen. So we've just went over a couple of those, legal capital punishment, military acts of war, and lethal self-defense. So what are we talking about here? What is, what is Moses getting to when he says, thou shalt not murder? What's, what's God telling him? What we're talking about is just versus unjust killing. Let me try to paint a, a picture for you. Walk with me through this scenario. You're in a theater, right? You're there with your family. Relax. We're going to watch a movie. Packed. Jam-packed people everywhere. Noise. A movie starts. 
20 minutes into the movie, you hear someone a couple rows in front of you hollering, something's going on, you don't know what it is. All of a sudden, this man stands up and just starts shooting people. This is not an uncommon scenario. We've had this happen in our country recently, right? And this man is just randomly, he's pointing, he's shooting, he's killing people. He is unjustly taking life. In that situation, it would not be unjust for the police to storm that theater and justly kill that man. The police, the the officer's duty is to protect and to preserve life. The shooter is destroying life and the police are protecting life. You would call that, mur- that shooter a murderer, right? That we would use the term murderer. When someone kills unjustly, we call them a murderer. But you wouldn't say that about the, the police officers. You would say that the police killed the suspect or killed the, the, the murderer. Even within our own use of language, we understand there's just and unjust killing. So why is God telling us it's wrong to murder? If there's certain times we can murder or we can kill and there's certain times we're not supposed to to kill, why is God telling us it's wrong to murder? There's two things I kind of want to unpack here for us. The first is it's it's an attack on who God is. And second, it's an attempt to be God. So let me try and unpack this for you first. This is kind of basic Bible 088, and for anybody that's not book smart like myself, that's a thing, right? So there are college classes that are 088. You trust me on this. I've, I've been in them. So this is just basic Bible. Go back to Genesis 1. God created male and female in his image. So we're created in God's image, Murder is wrong because God made man in his own image. And so unjustly murdering another human being is to murder what is most like God. And thus it implies an attack on God himself. In the Psalms, we see David expounding how intimately God knows his heart. And then he starts to kind of focus on how God knew him from the moment of conception, how he intimately, physically knows and is involved in the creation of personhood. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to read Psalm 139 for you. For you formed my inward parts. I love the language here. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. God is the one who creates personhood, individualism, personalities, you, me, what makes us different. 
God creates that. As a mother or a father, you may have contributed some impersonal eggs, some impersonal sperm, but God creates independent personhood. So when the scripture emphasizes that God is the main nurturer and shaper of human life in the womb, it is stressing that what is happening in the womb is a unique work of God, namely the creating of a person. Second, attempting to be God. Life may only be taken by the authority of God in the interest and preservation of life. God is sovereign over life and death, not people. Killing someone violates God's sovereignty and robs him of his glory. There is a sense in which all the commandments um, give us kind of a glimpse into God's character, who he is. But this one especially is applicable. God is the creator. He is the one who gives life. He is the one who takes life. When we step in and decide to take life, we are putting ourselves on his throne. That's why murder is so horrifying, because it first and foremost is an offense to God. Life and death are the prerogative of God. He is the giver and taker in this awesome affair we call life. We have no rights to make individual choices about this matter. Our duty is to care for what he gives and to use it for his glory. This is why abortion and euthanasia are so odious. I mean, in our culture, abortion has become so normalized that, that nowadays we even see pro-choice proponents even admitting, so what if it's a human life? But God is intimately involved from conception. Make no mistake about it. It's unjust murder. That's only one side of the sixth commandment, though. Thou shalt not murder. We tend to only look at the Ten Commandments as a list of negatives or shall nots. But a negative infers a positive. The Westminster Larger Catechism says, Where sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. The contrary duty to thou shalt not murder is that we should be people that prioritize and promote human flourishing. We see a lot of important people in the Bible that really fall hard when it comes to human flourishing. Um, just in MCs this week, we went through the story of David. Um, so did David actually kill Uriah? No, but he, he stifled, he, he took that life. He orchestrated that, that death. We see Paul, Paul didn't murder Christians in the New Testament, but Paul was an accessory. He was there. He was encouraging it. He was egging it on. Um, and then we've already talked about Moses. Moses, um, as we've seen earlier in, in Exodus, Moses killed an Egyptian, right? And then he tries to bury it. And then that kind of what, that's what sends him off 
into the desert as he's like, they make a comment like, yeah, we saw, we saw you whack that guy. And he's like, I don't think anybody saw me. Oh, I got to go. And he's gone for 40 years. But don't miss this point. God uses broken people. God can and will redeem murderers for his purposes. Hear me, to, hear me today. I mean, in all, as, as much as I can communicate this to you sincerely, God, God can use you no matter what you've done. No matter how grievous your sin, God can use you. And we see that through even Moses. As we're going through, we're going to finish out the rest of Exodus. We're going to see how God used Moses, a man who actually murdered somebody. As Christians, we believe that all human life is sacred. If we're, if we're for human flourishing... This shouldn't, this shouldn't surprise anybody. We should be at the forefront for the fight for life that is considered disposable. What is true of the unborn is true of all of us. The young, the helpless, the elderly, the infirm, the diseased, and the disabled. It doesn't matter your race, your immigration status. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. We are all made in the image and the likeness of God. None can be discarded. All must be preserved. So how are you doing at this? And when I ask this question, I don't want to, I'm not saying, how is Sacred City doing at this? How is my MC doing at this? I'm asking you how you're doing at this. If you truly care about human flourishing, then are you willing to help that mother who chose to keep her child but is now struggling to make ends meet? We can't just be about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. We have to be about the opposite of that command too. We have to promote life. We have to protect life. Think about your MC family. Do you truly love and support those in your MC or do you have cliques or people that you gravitate to at the abandonment of others? I know we've all thought this at some point. You're thinking someone else will talk to that person. Like someone else in my MC will, will deal with that problem. Are you more willing to help certain people quicker than others? If your gospel doesn't promote human flourishing, it's not the gospel. Do you sacrifice your time and resources to help others flourish and grow, not just people you like or prefer, but all life, all people. 
And this isn't just about resources. This isn't about what you spend your money on or how you use your, you know, your, your resources. It's also about your heart and it's about your mind. When you see a beggar on the corner, this, this really hit me because I wrote this is like going through my mind like, yeah, what, what would be, who's somebody I judge? And I'm like, yeah, that guy in the corner, I kind of think when I initially see him certain things. And then I see a guy on the corner on the way here. And it's like, as I'm preaching this message to you today, like God is smacking me in the face as I'm driving over here to Sacred City Moline. When you see that beggar on the corner, what are your thoughts about that person? Where does your mind and your heart go? What are your thoughts and feelings about people? Are your thoughts just? Are your thoughts unjust? Jesus says that you can promote human flourishing and still have a heart issue. I'm going to jump into Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22. So this is the the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is preaching and teaching the people about... He explains his kingdom, the kingdom of God, in relation to the law. Specifically, Jesus and how he fulfills the law of Moses. Keep in mind what we just unpacked in the sixth commandment as as I read this for us. You have heard it. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What did Jesus just do to us there? He flipped the script on that sixth commandment, right? So we're unpacking it. We shouldn't kill. There's more to it than we shouldn't kill. We should be promoting life. We should be for people. We should be about human flourishing. And then Jesus goes, But it's not just about actions. It's not just about not doing something or doing something. Jesus is saying that murderous acts flow from murderous hearts. So that even our thoughts, our words, our attitude must be guarded against gross violations of the principle of loving one another. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever watched something bad happen to somebody? You think to yourself, that person, they got their comeuppance, that's how I always say it. Like, they they got what was coming to them. Like, in this Facebook age we live in, Have you ever watched Black Lives Matter protesters protest and they block the interstate and they get hit by a car? Like, what's your thought? 
I've heard people go, hey, well, that's, that's what they got. They deserve what they got. They got hit by a car because they, they were in the road. Or you hear about stories on the news about immigrants that are getting hauled out by ICE. Yeah, it's, they deserve it. They go back to their country. That's... How often do you get angry? I'm talking angry, like steam coming out of your ears, angry. Have you ever mocked people before? Everybody in this room's insulted somebody, right? If you're a murderer, you deserve to be killed. That's, that's justice. That is still the case after Christ ups the ante on us. It doesn't change what's just and unjust. Go back to that beggar on the side of the road. You can give him money. Maybe you give him food. But what are you thinking about him? If you're saying, that guy's a fool. All he's got to do is go get a job. But I gave him some money. I'm promoting human flourishing. But if your heart is insulting him, if your mind is insulting him, you're violating this commandment. Jesus says that you are guilty of murder. Just, I mean, just think about that. that. That idea of mocking and insulting, just think about that. This really didn't hit me until this morning. As a husband and a father, the people I'm most closely intimate with this commandment absolutely should break you. Unless I'm the only person that has ever insulted my wife in my mind. And guess what? I go past it sometimes and it, it leaves my mouth and it goes out. Or my children. I'm to lead my children. But there are times where my kids frustrate me. And there's times where in my heart, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I just want to lock them in the room. I just want to walk away. Maybe they'll eat dinner tonight. I don't know. I mean, do you, do you feel the weight of that? I mean, not even strangers. People we know and love, we violate this commandment against them. You can violate this commandment without doing so criminally. You can violate this command without doing so physically. And you can violate this commandment without doing so outwardly. If you haven't figured it out yet, you break this law. Thou shalt not murder is a law that every one of us in this room has broken. You break this commandment probably more than you ever know that you break this commandment. Jesus applies the sixth commandment to our hearts and our minds 
and our tongues. When we allow feelings of jealousy, selfishness, envy, anger, hate, to unjustly dehumanize someone in our mind, then we are stripping them of the very image of God that we are called to protect, that we're called to flourish. Jesus is saying here that those same emotions and feelings that cause us in our mind to think these things about people, to be angry and to hate people, what Jesus is saying is that that's why our hearts have always been the point of the law. He's telling us that these tongue and these sin hearts must be taken with the same seriousness as physical sins of murder. I mean, let that sink in a little bit. Because right now, you're probably doing what I did. And I'm going, yeah, I understand it. It's a heart thing. But it's not actually as serious as physical murder. A lot of us don't think emotional murder is equivalent to physical murder, but keep this in mind. And this is something that really jumped out at me as I was really just wrestling through this text, wrestling with God, wrestling with Sam uh, as we would meet and go through this. And uh, it really comes down to the fact that these emotions can lead to murder. Remember that it was jealousy and envy and anger and hatred in the heart of men that led to the murder of Christ on the cross. Jesus was unjustly murdered for murderers. His trial was unjust. Let's let's unpack that a little bit. So he was arrested illegally, right? Unjust. The indictment against him was false. The Sanhedrin court illegally held the trial at night. They illegally convicted him of a capital offense. And the charge of blasphemy, which was what he was brought up on, was switched to sedition. They're trying to say he's inciting a riot. All of these things were illegal under Jewish and Roman law. Jesus is unjustly found guilty as he was being unjustly murdered on the cross, I want you to picture the crowd around him, right? As he's walking to the cross, we're told that he's being mocked. He's being mocked by the soldiers. He's being mocked by the people. He, he's now at the cross. He's being crucified, and the crowd is still relentless. The crowd is mocking him. They're yelling at him. They're spitting on him. I mean, picture that. That's your savior up there. That is a just and perfect man on that cross for no reason. No just reason. That's not love in their hearts. Love doesn't make you mock. It doesn't make you yell and spit and have such a hatred for somebody. Love values other people before self. 
as you read through the crucifixion of Christ, do you see the, the roots of their sin in their hearts? Of everybody. They're all mocking. They're all taking their jabs. They're, they're spitting. They're insulting him. That's us. We're in the crowd. Jesus was unjustly murdered for murderers. That's me. That's you. We have blood on our hands. Jesus was the only just man to be unjustly hated and murdered and killed for unjust anger. I just picture, I just picture him on the cross with all this hatred and vileness, and I think to myself, all that is in my heart. All that I'm reading here is in me. It's in you. And as he's there, he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know what to do. As we come to the end of our time together, how do you respond to the accusation that you are a murderer in your heart? Without ever raising your hand to kill someone, you're a murderer. We have an account of how two other murderers, like us, responded to Jesus. So Christ was crucified with two murderers on his side. Both were justly being killed for their crimes. I want you to see what's happening here in Luke 23. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him. So he's railing at Jesus. So he's, he's insulting him, right? He's, he's going after Jesus. And he said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other, so this is the other murderer on the other, you know, that's with him, says, do you not fear God? And he rebukes him. Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly um, are receiving our due reward for our deeds. So this guy's saying, yeah, we're, we're guilty, and we're justly being put to death for what we had, we've done. He says of Jesus, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You have a choice to make today. You can be sitting in your seat right now, railing against Jesus. You can be shaking your fist at him. You can be mocking him. But guess what? You're still guilty of murder. Or we see the other, the other murderer next to him. You can humble yourself and see that you justly deserve death for your deeds. See the innocent and righteous son of God 
who was unjustly murdered for a murderer like you and beg him to remember you. It's good news that while we were still an enemy, we were still enemies of God, Christ died for you. As you mocked those created in God's image, Christ died for you. As you insulted God, Christ died for you. As you railed against Jesus, he died for you. You see, the only way to ever truly have human flourishing is to find yourself in Christ. Only through Christ can the roots of anger in your heart be dealt with. When you see Christ being killed by you, for you, but he had no contempt for you, but only love, that's amazing, right? Amen, that's the gospel. Jesus was peaceable when he was provoked. He offered perfect obedience to the sixth commandment. When he was led to the cross, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus didn't take someone else's life. He gave his own. And through his death, our taking of human life, whether physically or verbally, is forgiven. But how do, we, how do we allow the gospel to penetrate our hearts and allow us to get those roots dug out, those roots of sin that, that Christ has talked about? Well, the same spirit that Christ had that helped him keep these commandments is the same spirit that me and you have if we've surrendered our life to Christ. As we live in the Spirit, we will start to see the fruits of the Spirit becoming more of a reality in our lives. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. I mean, think of that picture, crucified the flesh. We've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and we live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
If you find yourself in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And as I close today, I just want, I want the weightiness of this, of this commandment to propel us to the gospel. If you came in here and you were thinking, thou shalt not murder, good, wrong. You're more of a disgusting, bloody murderer than you ever knew. And Jesus is just as bloody because he took that for you. Lord, I just want to thank you for the grace that you give us that a violent act was unjustly executed on a man who was righteous, who was sinless, who was perfect. And I pray that each of us today would leave here knowing that we are sinners, that we attack people in our mind, that we do not promote uh, the flourishing and well-being of others. But there's, there's grace, just like the thief on the cross who said, I see who this man is. I see that he's righteous, and I know I'm not righteous. Remember me. Lord, I pray that you would remember us and continue to allow your spirit to work in our hearts, to root out these sins of, of our minds that manifest themselves in our tongue and our actions, but even if it manifests itself physically, that Christ died for that, and that none of us are outside of his reach, just like Moses. Moses actually murdered somebody, and you used him so mightily. I just pray that we would all know that we are not too far from your grace, and that if we would repent and put our faith in Christ, Refreshing our hearts anew, the offenses that we have, we have done in our hearts and our minds as we, as we have killed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.